Let's pray together. Our gracious, merciful Father in heaven, O Lord, we come to worship and adore thee. Thou alone art the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we acknowledge that thou art the thrice holy God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Father, we are ever amazed at thy great plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, who left that realm of glory and humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And O oh Lord, we come with re rejoicing and thankfulness in our hearts that through our precious Redeemer and Savior, we are washed and cleansed and presented faultless before thy throne of grace. O oh Lord, we thank thee for these eternal privileges we have as thy dear children. And Lord, we ask that thou would wash us clean of our many sins. And Lord, we pray that now that thou would even stir our hearts by thy spirit and our minds, that we may worship thee with sincerity and in truth. Lord, we pray that thou would receive our prayers and petitions and our worship. And as we open the scriptures to consider the redeeming work of our Saviour, Lord, we do pray that thou would draw us near to thyself. Oh, remind us of thy saving grace. And we pray especially for any among us this morning who have not yet come to that great, wonderful experience of salvation through the Saviour. Oh, Lord, we pray that thou would visit them with thy saving grace. Lord, we bring all these petitions to thee and asking all these things in our Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing our first hymn, hymn number 23. Hymn number 23, O praise ye the Lord.
turning now in the word of God to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. A Psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest of men are exalted. May the Lord grant us a blessing from the reading of his word. Let's continue with the singing of our next hymn, hymn number 326. Hymn number 326. Lamp of our feet whereby we trace our path when want to stray.
I'm turning again in the word of God to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death have no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. May God grant us a blessing from the reading of this inspired word. Let's pray together. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we come to thee, the creator of all things, and we thank thee, gracious Father, that we can address thee as the God of our salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, we thank thee for that eternal redemptive plan that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet far from thee, on that pathway to destruction, with no regard for thee, we thank thee that thou didst set thy love, thy pitying love upon our needy souls. We thank thee for that day when we first understood and realized and saw our desperate need of the Savior and our dangerous plight. We thank thee, gracious Lord, for opening our eyes, for removing the scales, to see our Savior in his mighty saving love and grace. We thank thee, gracious Father, for sins forgiven, for everlasting life. O oh Lord, we, we reflect by faith upon all that our Savior went through on that cruel cross. We remember the humiliation, the jeering and the mocking, the excruciating pain. O oh Lord, we remember the Savior in agony, bearing upon his own body and soul the sins of all his dear people. O oh Lord, we are ever amazed at the mighty condescending love of our Creator. And, O oh Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art a God who keeps His own. We thank Thee that Thou art the God who will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank Thee Thou art the one who saves us to the uttermost through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank Thee, gracious Father, that even in this life we have Thy guiding hand, we have answers to prayer, we have mighty demonstrations of Thy nearness and power in our lives. O oh Lord, and we come afresh to express our appreciation of all thy undeserved blessings and benefits toward us, we confess that we are not worthy of the least of all thy mercies toward us. But, O oh Lord, we also come to plead with thee that thou would have mercy on many others. Has thou not commanded us, Lord, to stand in the gap and plead before thee on behalf of our nation and this world? And we pray, Lord, that thou would have mercy on many more, Lord, we were no different from any others, but it's only because of thy grace we are who we are in Christ Jesus. So we pray, Lord, for many others, far from thee, O Lord, oblivious to the danger that they're in, oblivious to the judgment that is to come. We pray particularly for the rising generation, O Lord, so ignorant of all thy truth, so ignorant of how thou hast blessed this land in the past. Lord, we pray that thou bless thy servants everywhere this day in the preaching of the, in the pulpit and Sunday school lessons. Lord, wherever thy word is faithfully proclaimed that thou would work in the hearts of many. And we pray for those many people who, who never enter a church building, masses of people, even shopping and doing their own thing on thy, on thy day. Lord, have pity, we pray. And help them to sense that emptiness and that sense of vanity, of living for the passing things of this world. Bring them to repentance. Bring them into the house of God. Lord, we do pray for any among us this morning who have not yet come to know thee. 
O Lord, who are yet in darkness, and yet do not understand it, nor do they know it, Lord, we pray that thou would trouble them, trouble their consciences, Lord, help them to sense their need of the Saviour, help them to see the danger and the deceitfulness of their own heart. O Lord, we pray that thou would grant forgiveness and life and pardon to many, and even in this house this morning, this house of prayer, Lord, we bring our petitions to thee, and we pray for thy blessing now as we come to open thy word. O Lord, indeed, as we consider our Saviour and his mighty saving love, draw us to him by faith. We ask all these things in our Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing our third hymn, hymn number 667. Hymn number 667. Hark, my soul, it is the Lord, tis thy Saviour, hear his word.
the book of Numbers, chapter 32, and reading verse 23. Numbers, chapter 32, and reading verse 23. The words of Moses... But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure, your sin will find you out. So my title for this morning's message is The Mysterious Nature of Sin, How Sin Works. Uh, This is a needful topic, it's an uncomfortable topic, and I'll be talking about some hard and difficult things, but it's, it's absolutely essential, because we today... In our culture and society, we don't understand how sin operates. Uh, generations ago, people understood these things. Even people who weren't Christians had a, had a, a, a fairly good understanding of, of how sin operated. Um, they had some biblical understanding of these things. But today, no one knows anything about this, how sin operates. And it's, it operates in a very mysterious and subtle and deceitful way inside of us. So it's, it's so mysterious, the prophet Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, said these words around 2,500 years ago. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that is the case. We cannot really understand these things. And even when we become Christians, even when we come to know the Lord as our Savior, we have a far greater understanding of sin, but still we don't know its depths. And it's deceitfulness, but God helps us. Well, today, so many people minimize and justify and make light of the danger and the power of sin. And when, and when we do this, whether as collectively as a society or as individuals, the, the consequences are absolutely devastating. And we see this happening more and more today. So, first of all, this... The Bible, no other literature describes sin this way. It's very interesting if you're ever to do a study on on how the Bible depicts and treats the matter of sin. It's, It's fascinating because sin is described in the Bible... It's, it's, it behaves as if it's a separate entity or person working against you. That's how the Bible describes sin. It's not... It's, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my fiber. It's a part of my being. It's, I'm the problem. But sin is so described in the scriptures as if it's someone um, actively working against me constantly. That's how the Bible describes sin. It's, it's as if it's a separate personality working against me. That's how it behaves. And it's not just this verse that describes sin in this way. It's described this way in the whole Bible. You look at other passages in the Bible, and that's how sin is described. In, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, for example, sin is described as being deceitful. Well, only a person can be deceitful. And in that passage we read um, moments earlier, Romans chapter 6, is described as a tyrannical ruler, which dominates us and rules us before we come to know the Savior as our own. It's, it's described as an employer, what does it pay us? It pays us death. So sin is described in the scriptures as, as a separate entity. Planning, cunning, devising, 
trying to bring us down. And people don't understand this. They think, oh, sin, it's, it's such a, these Christians, and this, this comes from the Victorian age, surely, that they conflate and they, they enlarge this issue of sin. It's not a big deal. It is. That's, this, is what the, this is how the Bible describes it. It's so incredibly dangerous. In this verse, it's described as, as a, a hunter tracking us down. Be sure that your sin will find you out. It's tracking us. We should be on the run. Because of sin, we become our own worst enemies. Uh, so, it's so tragic that we're unaware of the malicious and deadly nature of sin which operates inside of us. So, it's the kindest thing for me as a preacher to warn, to warn you about these things. We must understand how sin operates inside of us. We must see its design, designed to destroy us, to separate us from our God for eternity. It's fundamentally important to understand these things because if we don't understand these things, we won't see our need of forgiveness. So seeing this, I think seeing this verse in its context will, will help us further in this regard. So here is Moses addressing the Israelites. Well, he's actually addressing particularly two tribes. Um, when the Israelites left Egypt, the nation of Israel, they were delivered mightily by amazing miracles of God and God raised up Moses and they delivered this nation out of Egypt. Egypt was crippled um, and they were, they were forced to let the Israelites go and they wandered in the wilderness. I'm sure you know these narratives. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience but eventually they were on the brink of entering in to the land of promise which God had promised them uh, and they were beginning and then God called upon them through Moses, all the men of military age and all the tribes were called for the conquest of Canaan, to defeat the enemies in Canaan. But the, there were two tribes, well actually there were three, but the two main tribes, Gad and Reuben, they wanted to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan. They didn't want to go inside of the land. They kind of liked the fertile land on the other side. And Moses assumed... He thought that they were trying to escape the duty of warfare. They were trying to evade um, warfare and being called to, to serve in this way. And he warned them. He said, well, you may escape if, if this is what you want to do. You may escape the rigors of warfare and you may escape the danger that comes with that. But be sure this is what you're doing is very sinful and be sure that your sins will find you out. There will be consequences for, you, for the actions that you'll take in not helping your brethren in the conquest. So that's the context in which this verse is, uh, sits in this, in this passage of Scripture. But of course, if you continue to read the chapter, you'll discover that these tribes, that wasn't their intention. They weren't intending. They were quite happy to help with their brethren. They were quite happy to go along with the other tribes and fight and they said this to Moses, says, no Moses, you're, you're wrong. We, we are very happy to come and, and help our fellow tribesmen, our countrymen in this war. But once every tribe is settled in its own allotment of land, then we will go back to the other side and we will, settle. we will leave our families and children behind, but we will come and fight Moses. So Moses was wrong on that occasion. But what if he was... But what if he was right, just for the sake of the illustration? What if, his, what if his initial suspicion concerning these two tribes was correct? 
and they refused to help. They refused to, 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 to go out and fight. Well, how would have Moses' warning come to pass? Well, it may have come to pass in the following way. So the other tribes go into the land and defeat their enemies. And the other two tribes are anxiously seeing how these things will work out and that they breathe a sigh of relief. Well, see, they didn't need our help after all. But then a few years later, um, one of the big enemies on that side, namely the Moabites, they see that these are two isolated tribes, vulnerable and by themselves. So they decide to do a, 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 a raid attack on these, these two tribes. Be sure that your sin will find you out. So it could have happened in that way. But what we learn from this verse is, is that it's impossible to escape the consequences of sin. This is one of the lessons in this verse. And even if God was, and this is what this message is all about, even if God is to intervene in our lives, God cannot just make sin disappear. He cannot just ignore the fact that we have a sin problem. He cannot just simply forgive us. The sin has to be dealt with. So even if God intervenes, the problem has to be dealt with. And I'll explain that a bit later. Well, this is a bit of a strange illustration, but do you imagine if... A criminal is, well, this person, he's, he's a violent person. He's, in, he's been in prison for many years, but they decide to let him out on parole. But before they do so, they in, inject him with this tracking device. It's a bit of a modern illustration. So he's monitored. Every, his every move has been monitored. He, he, he can't just go where, it, well, he cannot escape because he has this tracking device in him. Well, that's, how, that's what sin is like, friends. It's almost as if our sin has a GPS, a spiritual GPS signal and system built into it so that no matter what we do, somewhere down the line, the cons- consequences will meet up with us. And that's how sin behaves. You've got to understand this. I cannot just sin, sin against my creator and think that I'm going to get away scot-free. No. My, the, the consequences of sin always follow. Sometimes they follow immediately. Sometimes they follow years later. Some, or they will certainly meet me in the next life for sure. But sin has consequences, and these consequences can only really be dealt with by God if we don't want to suffer the consequences. So these things are so important. So many of us, many people today, we minimize the problem of sin and its painful and deadly consequences, and yet we don't see, we do this, but we don't actually understand that the many difficult issues we go through in life and the problems we experience in life and the damage sin does in our lives, we don't see what sin does to us. And we attribute, we attribute the problems we go through to other things, to external things. We don't actually realize it's the ultimate culprit behind our troubles and difficulties is sin. Perhaps and there's so many people that go through so much anxiety. So many people are so anxious and troubled about the future. So many people suffer great depression. They're plummeted. People easily nowadays are plummeted into depths of depression. And it's so sad. And young people growing up and, and social media and all these things. And sometimes they toy with the idea of suicide. So there's so much unrest and turmoil in society. And it hasn't dawned upon so many people that the ultimate culprit behind these things is what? Is our sin. The consequences of sin. My sin and the sins of others. Rebellion against God is, is the root of all our trouble. So what we'll briefly do this morning is investigate how sin tracks us down, because that's what this verse is saying. Be sure that your sin 
will find you out. Well, how does it do this? How does sin track me down? And we'll investigate this in, this, in the short time we have together. It affects us, it affects me, it affects my life, it affects my mind, it affects the way I think, it affects my tastes, it affects my opinions of, of others in ways which I never really understand or realize. Well, first, well, I, I, there's no particular order of priority here, but it's important to understand that sin doesn't operate, sins don't operate in isolation. They, if you think about a, a pack of wolves, for example, uh, a wolf doesn't normally bring down prey by itself. If a wolf sees a prey larger than itself, it, it calls on others, and the, and the pack of wolves brings down the prey, the larger prey. They hunt in packs, and that's, that's how sin behaves in a similar way. If I, if I indulge in pride, and I, and I, I advertise myself on, on these social media platforms, and, and I, I, I'm an attention seeker, and I think, I think I'm better than other people, and I despise other people. Well, it's not, it's not just pride that will bring me down. It's not just pride that will contaminate me. Other sins will come along as well. Selfishness. If I'm a proud person, selfishness will get hold of me as well. I'll become selfish. I'll become greedy. I'll become hatred. I'll be, become hateful and despise others. I'll become dishonest. So that but by the time these sins have done with me, by the time these sins have, have um, infected me and polluted me, well, this happens to so many of us. I'll leave behind me a, a trail of broken relationships, maybe a biological daughter, son or daughter that I've, I've never seen before. And this is increasingly what's happening in society today, where we just live for pleasure. We, live, we just let sin run loose in our lives, and we don't understand how it affects us and how it makes us so callous and cruel. So it's not just pride that will um, destroy me and destroy my personality. It's these other, other sins as well. So that but by the time it's done with me, I'll be like a, well, I'll have the potential to be a moral monster, and that's what... So many people, it infects so many people in this way. Sin is like a deadly, undetected cancer. It moves in stealth. I can't understand. I can't, uh, maybe other people can see it, but I don't understand what it's doing to me and how it's changing me and how it's causing the principles I once had over the years to erode away. It's killing me, and I don't even know it. I'm oblivious to this. Sin is like leprosy. It disfigures me. It makes me look ugly in the eyes of my Creator. God's image is constantly being defaced as I continue to sin away my years. Virtues like patience and kindness and honesty, all these things are being eroded slowly. Well, sometimes not so slowly as I continue to habitually sin and break the commandments of my God. What, meanwhile, while this is happening, the opposite disfiguring wounds of gossip and anger and deceit and selfishness continue to grow. This happens. And, friends, it's so sad that this does happen because we drift further and further away from our hope of saving grace. And we make a massive mistake. And this is what people do today. We have this whole victim mentality today. And it's growing astronomically where we blame the way we are on our circumstances and oh if you knew, know, knew what kind of life I had 
or the fact that I come from this country and it was a very hard, difficult being brought up there and now it's affected me in many ways. This victim mentality, you, you cannot become a Christian if this is the mentality you have. I must realize, no, it's my sin, it's my problem. I'm a rebel. This is the attitude we must... It's difficult to um, speak about these things, that it's the truth, friends. It's not because of my circumstances that I am the way I am. It's because, yes, these outwards, external things, they do influence me and they can inflame my sin, but it's sin to start with. That's the problem. So people people blame all kinds of things. They blame they blame the, the way they are because of their, maybe they have, they have health problems, finances, or these things may perpetuate our troubles, but they're not the cause of our troubles to begin with. And the proof of this is that we as Christians, we know, we know of Christians in lands where there is great hostility towards the Christian faith, where churches are being burnt down, where pastors and church workers are imprisoned for the faith. We have heard testimonies of preachers in these places, in prison for many years, and yet, yet they know such peace and joy. Uh, they, 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 they are rejoicing in their Savior, and we look in the Scriptures and we remember the Apostle Paul and Titus being whipped and being beaten and yet they're praising the Lord in prison clearly their circumstances didn't determine how they behave no but it's sin that, that, that is the real culprit here so it's so important to understand this sin behaves like cement did you know this it hardens us it makes us harder in what respect does it make us harder preacher well it makes us it makes our hearts more harder and brittle towards the truth, towards the truth of the gospel, that I need to be saved, that I need to be forgiven. If I continue to procrastinate and not see my need of the Savior and come to Him, the cement effect of sin will, will be my testimony. My heart will grow. And I've seen this in people's lives. I've known people um, who used to come to church I've known people who have had a, an intrigue and an interest in the Christian faith and then years later they've stopped coming to church and years later after that you try you try bring up the discussion of God with them they get all they get all, get all upset with you what's happened they used to be interested in these things they used to come to church but it's the cement effect of sin as I continue to ignore my need of salvation and live for this life live for my sins Sin hardens my heart. It becomes harder and harder. But we don't know this. We don't know this if, if God hasn't opened our eyes. Sin is the ultimate control freak. Sin is the ultimate dictator and ruler. You think of some of the terrible um, regimes of the past century. Uh, Hitler and, and Stalin and Pol Pot and all these. And the amount of people that, that were executed and killed under their watch and you think of the brutality of these people and, and their regimes but there's something there's an, but what caused them to do this was the sin within them and this same sin operates within me it's the ultimate control, it's the ultimate dictator and it wants every square inch, sin is not content with a bit of me, it wants every square inch of my life and I'll know, I'll know that it has absolute dictatorial rule in my life when I do things well, I, that I'll deeply regret and this is what happens to people today I'm gonna I have to do this 
I will indulge in this, but it's going to wreck my marriage. But it's going to do this. It's going to, it's going to wreck this relationship. It's, I'm going to get fired if I do this. But they do it anyway. They do these sins which will cripple them because they no longer have power to resist them. They, the sin has total dictatorial rule over their life. It doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to many people in society where they're just bullied and ruled and dominated by their sin. And their life becomes a car crash morally. And they get into all kinds of trouble. That's, what's, that's what sin wants in, all, in every life. So I don't realize that I've become a slave. Sin, is, sin behaves like the bailiffs. Um, sometimes people get into trouble financially sometimes it's not their sometimes it's not their fault due to circumstances beyond them they they get into a lot of financial trouble and debt sometimes it happens to people it is their fault they're reckless with their money but um, when this does happen of course they, they can't pay their debts and they keep getting warnings and then the bailiffs come and then they they knock on the door or they're not answering they kick down the door and they they take their goods away well sin behaves in the exactly the same way uh, we don't realize it at first especially when we're young we we live for the weekend we and we we do all kinds of things drinking and so on and we don't feel the consequences of sin when when we're going through these things i might have a headache on a monday morning or um, minor things like this but i don't feel sin biting back when i'm when, when i'm young I don't feel it biting back and fighting against me. But mark my words, as you continue to live a life far away from your creator, the bailiffs, that is the consequences of sin, will kick down your door one day, take away all your contentment, take away any last vestige of meaning and purpose you have. It'll kick down your door and it'll take away all these things so that you'll end up going through a midlife crisis. You'll get all depressed when you look to the future. That's what sin is like. It demands payment. It gives very little, but it demands a great deal. Friends, it's, it's, it's not right to live like this. We were never intended to live like this. Um, and this leads me to my next point. Look at this verse again, verse 23. Moses warning these tribes, but this is a warning for all of us. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Know for certain that it will. It's like the law of gravity. It cannot be avoided. It will track you down. You cannot run from this. You can try run. You can try hide from the consequences of sin. And people, in all kinds of different ways, they try to do this today. They try to evade and hide and run from the consequences of sin. There's many ways in which we can do this. I'll just give you one example. I will hide, I will escape the consequences of sin. How will I do this? I will do so by not calling it sin. That's very popular today. This is not sin. That's a terrible thing to say that the way I live this particular lifestyle is, is sinful. No, that, that's not right. Let, in fact, let's pass legislation uh, that if anyone who says otherwise, well, we'll get them into trouble. So this is not sin anymore. This is perfectly legal. This is totally acceptable. In fact, more than this, that this is the lifestyle that we all should be living. So this should be, this should be promoted as virtuous. This is how many people try to escape and evade the consequences of sin today. But, oh, friends, it's such a dangerous thing to do. Let me give you an illustration. So imagine, well, we're not in winter yet, although it may feel so to some of us, but we're heading into winter and it's going to get really cold. 
So on a cold, on a cold winter's night, there I am, and I'm, I'm going to get in the shower, or I'm going to get in the bath and have a bath and heat up, and I turn on the taps, but there's no hot water. And what do I do? This, it's, it's freezing. I, I can't have a bath, a cold bath. So, oh, no, I'll get, I'll get the toaster, I'll put it in, plug it in, I'll get warm. You, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't put the toaster in, in the bath. You'll die. What on earth are you doing that for? Well, it sounds like a bizarre illustration, but this, when you tamper with your conscience, it's not designed to be tampered with. Don't you understand that? When I try to force it to... When I try to impose an ideology or something which was never designed to accept, my conscience will bite back at me. Don't you understand? No wonder why, when you look at what people, uh, when people are experimenting in this new morality, they're experimenting in these things, they're, they're forcing these things upon the young, and this is where all the higher suicide rates and depression are coming from, from people who are experimenting in these areas. Because they're trying to force conscience to believe something which it was never designed to accept. It's, it is really like plugging a to, putting a toaster in a bath and plugging it in. That's what you're doing to your conscience. It will fight against you. It will bite back at you. Don't be surprised if you start feeling very restless. Don't be surprised if you do start toying around with suicidal thoughts. Don't be surprised if you do these things. I'm saying this out of kindness, friends. We preachers, we don't say these things because we don't care. We say it because we do care. We want you to be saved. We want you to be forgiven. We want you to be blessed. Don't be deceived by these people who peddle these ideas. They come across as very gentle and sympathetic and kind. They don't care about the consequences. They don't care, but we do care. We want you to be forgiven. We want you to be blessed. Oh, the, this is such an important verse. Your sins will find you out. Well, people worry about all kinds of things nowadays. So many problems, they need difficulties, but they forget the ultimate cause of their troubles, and that is my sin. To be anxious about the sin in my life, my selfishness, my pride, how I've dealt with other people, my lust, so many things. It's not only necessary, but it's critical if we want to seek and find the Savior for ourselves. When we begin to feel remorseful for how I've behaved, how I've behaved as a person, how I've treated my parents perhaps, or other people, the things I've done in life, and my very attitude towards my maker, and my attitude towards others, and the things I do, and the things I say. When I start to feel guilt and remorse about these things, then God's offer becomes irresistible, don't you see? God's offer of forgiveness becomes tangible, and it's something that I desire. And this is our greatest need, friends, to have this sin problem dealt with, to have our sins forgiven. This is our greatest need, and this is God's offer. One of, the, one of my most favorite verses in, in the entire Bible is the following verse in Matthew chapter, it's a nativity verse, but it's so beautiful. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel declared, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, not from our external problems, not from our greatest problem is our sin. He shall save his people from their sins. What our sin is doing to us and where our sin is taking us. God, through Jesus Christ, will deliver us from this. How did, come, how did Christ do this? How did the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, everyone knows that he existed 2,000 years ago. Everyone knows the Bible teaches, well, not, people, not, 
Not many people believe he's the son of God, but that's what he claimed to be, and he is. The Old Testament scriptures bear witness of this. All the prophecies concerning what he would do, how he would do it, how he would atone for sin, all perfectly fulfilled in this man, in this God-man 2,000 years ago. Well, how did he deal with our sins? Amazing. By taking the punishment himself. And that's the only way that our sins can be dealt with. Either I take the punishment in hell for eternity, or my creator steps into time and deals with the problem himself. He takes the responsibility of my sin himself by being my burden bearer. And that's what happened on the cross. And the angels are so perpetually amazed at this that the creator, their creator, should initiate grace. We who initiated hostility towards him that he should initiate grace to us and that he should take upon his own shoulders my sin. And when he was bleeding and dying on that cross in great agony, he had every one of his children whom he would save in his mind's eye. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is finished. I have paid the debt of all the sins of my people. Oh, preacher, what must I do to be saved? Believe on him. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came to die for the sin, for my sins. Lord, I believe that when you were dying on that cross, it was for me. Lord, I repent of my sin. Lord, I trust in your wonderful work on the cross. You pray that prayer of faith. You use your own words, but put your trust in the Savior. Believe that he bled and died for your sins. And if you're sincere, he will forgive you. He will change you. He will bless you. You will no longer be dominated by your sin. You will no longer be controlled by it. You will, you will still sin. But you'll be a sinner saved by grace. You'll be a different person. And you'll be at war with your sin. The war has begun. And God will help you with this. And he'll be preparing you for glory. This is the wonderful testimony of those who come back, who come to the Lord for saving grace. Don't throw, don't throw God's grace back in his face, friends. This is the invitation that we all desperately need. To do so would be insanity. But come to the Lord Jesus Christ for rescue and for everlasting life. Amen. Let's sing our last hymn, hymn number 541. Hymn number 541. And 41, I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee.
Our dear gracious Father in heaven, we come to thee and we beseech thee, Lord, that thou grant us spiritual understanding of these truths. O Lord, that we may flee to the Saviour for washing, for cleansing, for everlasting life. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.